Thank you, Rich. So this morning, as we are speaking, um, Jesus Cristo, el Rey de Sobrano, the Spanish congregation that meets here, uh, will be meeting right now, uh, this morning, as they are celebrating Eddie Jimenez's 30th year of ministry and pastoring. Uh, and so Steve Green is over in the Fellowship Hall. Some of you know Steve Green's name, um, you know. People Need the Lord, that, that song, uh, he's the one who wrote that. And so uh, he is uh, over there leading in Espanol uh, in worship. And uh, I'm not too concerned because I know that when we finish here, they're probably still just into their first set of singing. Uh, and so you, if, you want, if you want to, you can go over there uh, afterwards and they'll still be there. Uh, and uh, you'll miss K&W, but... Um, You'll be able to, to do that, but uh, he will be in concert uh, in Wake Forest tonight. But I just want to uh, say that just so uh, you would pray for Eddie and their church, and uh, if you see Eddie, um, thank God for him. We're glad to have them uh, there with us and worshiping the Lord with us, and so if you see him, please just encourage him uh, in, in his uh, walk. Um, and as well, thank you for those of you who are serving out in the parking lot, uh, working out in the front area, working with Bud. Uh, what a blessing. Thank you. Uh, it is a, a sign of the gospel. We'll, we'll see this today. Uh, our hospitality, our love of people we don't yet know, is a mark of those who follow God. And so thank you for doing that. And uh, I know Bud's got plans for more things. And so uh, if you want to join in, uh, contact Bud, and there'll be other activities that you can certainly be a part of. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to focus this morning on verse 19 through 22. Uh, we uh, started last week as we looked at into, uh, beginning with verse 11, uh, kind of the prelude into verse 19 through 22, and it gets really to the heart of the, the sermon uh, series banner, what is the church? Uh, and so we're getting right to the, the heart of that in this passage as well as in chapter 3, uh, and I, I think it, it, it really needs to be redefined. Um, I was just talking this, this morning with one of the ladies that's moved into her area. She's from California, and she's like, help me out here. You know, I, I just don't know this culture. Uh, I, I meet all kinds of people, and, and I, I'm finding there's, there's a lot of folks that used to go to church, and they don't want anything to do with it. And there's other folks that don't really have a clue about what church is. So what's going on? So, well, you, you know, the first group is the de-churched. They grew up in church, and they didn't like it. Uh, and so that's what we call de-churched. And there's others that just know a little bit about Jesus Christ, or maybe not at all, uh, and so this whole church thing is kind of a, uh, they don't get it, they don't know why. Uh, and for those of us who are in church, uh, you know, I mentioned a survey that, uh, and when asked, about 86% of Christians asked the question, do you need to go to church to be a good Christian? 86% would say, no, you don't need to be in church to be a good Christian. And there's a part of that that is somewhat true in that we teach that salvation comes by grace through faith, not through the church. And that separates us from Roman Catholicism. Uh, Roman Catholicism would say we get God's grace, but God's grace comes to the church. And so there's a difference there that, no, we're not to that extent. But, biblically speaking, there is an important role of church what it is, why it's here, it's God's invention, it's done by Jesus Christ. And it's spoken to in this passage, remember the book of Ephesians is written to a local body. 
All right, this is a group of believers that were in the city of Ephesus. This letter comes to, and so when this is being instructed, he has in mind a local body of believers. Uh, and so with that thought in mind, let's read Ephesians chapter 2. And if you would, let's start with verse 11 because it gives good context. Uh, and then we're going to focus on 19 through 22. And in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together as a church recognizing what we are reading together. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. I might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You may be seated. For those of you who are with us, when we did chapter 1, a lot of the focus of chapter 1 was about God's power. Praying that we would know the hope of the calling. That we would know how dear we are to Jesus Christ. That God would open up our eyes to see these things. And then praying that God would open up the eyes of our heart to see the power of God at work in us. The the power that rose Jesus from the dead. This this power that gives us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And so chapter 1 talks a lot about God's power. Especially as represented in Jesus Christ. And, And if you look at just a few verses in front of what we read. Notice how the power of, of God in Christ kind of gets focused. So if you just imagine light being focused in on one point, God's power. So you, if you read, talking about Jesus Christ, God raised him from the dead in verse 20 of chapter 1. Seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. This Christ is above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also the one to come. Put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's almost chapter one is talking about the power of God and the resurrected Jesus. And he says, that, and it's the power of God is seen most evidently in this thing called the church. And so chapter two, he starts talking about the church. And all that we looked at last week, verses especially 11 through 19, how God has worked in our life. And I just want to remind you some of what we said last week uh, as I go through just the slides of last week's points. 
First of all, we understood as we read the scripture, looking at verse 11 and 12, that every church member started in a desolate state. We started far from God without hope, and God did a miraculous work. And so we all stood in that place, and we need to remember where we come from. Isolated from God, alienated from one another. And then we looked how Christ restores every church member by breaking himself, verse 13 and 14, that this comes at cost by Jesus Christ himself to restore us with him as well as to give the groundwork to be restored to one another. And so we've seen in verse 15 and 17, every church member, uh, Christ has undermined what makes us desolate. He has removed the barriers of hostility that exist. And we saw that he did this by fulfilling the law on our behalf. By killing the basis of hostility between one another. By pronouncing the same blessings on all of us. The gospel of peace. We learned how consequently the church needs to be very different. A a people united by Jesus Christ. And that being the sole bond between us. And that we do great danger to our church when we raise up false unities like politics, like races, like preferences, like ages. And saying, well, the church must be this type of person and Christ. And we do that at great detriment to the church. So Christ gives every member a mutual access to our mutual father in jesus christ and and the holy spirit and the holy spirit is what brings us together not anything else and then christ has remade every member into one family of god verse 19 and so we're going to focus on that now this family of god what has he remade us those of us who used to be isolated alienated from one another what has god brought us into this thing call the church we're going to see some some different metaphors that god brings to to us and we're going to mix the metaphors a little bit as we go um so first as we read uh verse 19 what is this family he says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints so first of all when we talk about the church we are fellow citizens. When we talk about this concept, this gathering, is a group of people that belong together as citizenships to the same kingdom, the nation of God, the people of God. But we start off at this, these strangers and aliens, these, these things foreign to God and to one another, just as the Gentiles were. And I talked about how in that system that Paul wrote in, there was in the temple grounds this sign lit put on every barrier door, this, this wall that was 10 foot high surrounding the temple, uh, that every barrier had this little notice, this warning, that if you are not a Jew, a foreigner shall not enter here, and they will have only themselves to blame for the ensuing death. This is what the archaeologists have found, as well as historical records show this. So this is very much in Paul's mind, and And God's saying, no, that's been removed. We are no longer strangers and aliens. I was reading the book of Ruth this morning, and I was just thinking about how amazing it was that when God brought his his Jesus, his Christ, his Messiah, that he did it along a line of people that showed mercy and grace and generosity. Ruth being one of the ancestors of Jesus, Boaz being one of the ancestors of David and consequently of Jesus, Boaz being the son 
of uh, Rahab, the foreigner, brought in. And I thought, isn't that neat how God has just given his Messiah through lines of people who were uh, generous, graceful, mercy, merciful to those who were strangers. So then the church ought to also have the same idea. The word for strangers and aliens, and I don't throw out Greek much to you guys because there's not really any point for you to know the Greek because uh, you're not speaking in it. But it helps you to know that the word here is xenos. So you know the word xenophobia, right? We know that word, the, the fear of strangers, the fear of people uh, different from us. That's where this comes from. He says, so you are no longer xenos. But you know what the word for hospitality is? The meaning of that, the read of it, is philozenia, the love of strangers. Hospitality, the love of strangers. That's why I say for those of us in our church who are working on welcoming people, we are showing the grace of God. The love of people strange. (laughs) Don't you love that? The love of people strange. And that's what the church is, a gathering of people who are strange, loved by God. And I can live up to that, you know? I'm like, okay, that, that meets me, that meets me. I'm strange, but yet I'm loved by God. <laughs> my, my, just, my wife was saying the other day, I'm weird, all right? So I, in the car, I just get tired, bored, just doing the same thing. And so I'm constantly making these little noises. I'm doing these little dances and things like that. And Julie just asked the question, do you do this when you're by yourself? <laughs> and I was just thinking later on when I was by myself doing something much more strange. And I was thinking, <laughs> my wife still has no clue how strange I am. She, she, she doesn't know I'm toning it down. When I'm with her, you know. So, so God knows those things, right? He, and that's how we all are. He loves the strange and he brings them in. And so he says, you once were of this. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. This is the, the idea of the saints are the holy ones. You've been gathered in with the holy ones. Back then that was the idea of the Jews were the holy ones and everyone's brought in. But now we're all brought in to those people who belong to God. We are fellow citizens with them. We are members of God's kingdom. We are fellow citizens with one another. And that's why we can have more in common. We can have more in common. Now listen, with a believer in Jesus Christ who comes from somewhere around the world that doesn't even speak our language, we can have more in common with them than the person who was born and raised in the same place we were, but not a believer in Jesus Christ. You get that? We have more in common. I praise God because we have, this is a place where folks come from around the world and they live here and move here. And they, they, you know, do you know how hard it would be for us to go someplace where they sing a different song and and they act different and talk different, but they worship Jesus Christ and we go there? We have people, Eli is laughing because he knows, (laughs) he's one of them, all right? There's, There's a few of us around and they come in on any given Sunday and they come not because the songs are familiar, not because our behavior is the same but because we worship Jesus Christ. That's it. 
We are tied together. I remember sometimes when doing international traveling, we, we, we come in back into America. And it's always this kind of interesting season when you go into the airports and you have to go through something called passport control. And you've just been with all these people, a few hundred people in your airplane. And they, some of them may have been sitting near you or around you. But you go to this passport control and there's this sign, U.S. residents, U.S. citizens over here. Those who have a passport from some other country over here. And so we, we have this division line and, and it's interesting because you're looking around and you realize, oh, I, didn't, I wouldn't know that they were a U.S. citizen. Or you see someone go to the other side and thought, huh, I thought they were a U.S. citizen. We, we all kind of look similar, somewhat. It's hard to say in America, right? We all a lot of times speak English, but it won't be evident until we have the passport that reveals who we are. What the Bible is saying here is that according to God, we have a passport that belongs to His kingdom. And that passport, that, that title, that legality, that legal document has Trump everything has said this is the predominant, the predominant direction now and orientation, not American. We are fellow citizens. The church is kind of like passport control. We're all kind of going in and saying, I bear the name of Jesus Christ. But we keep on reading not only are we fellow citizens with saints, but we're also members of the household of God. Members of God's family. What we're doing now, now not only we're members of uh, citizens of God's kingdom, we are now members of God's family. What we're going to find here is as we keep on going, the intimacy level increases. Because I can be a fellow citizen with someone that lives a, a thousand miles away, right? But now, he says, I'm a member with the family of God. Where in the family, we share stuff. We share resources, right? We uh, come from the same stock, so to speak. We may be under the same household. We might have some of the same rules in us. There is perhaps maybe DNA. There is genetics that ties us together in some form. You can look at someone and say, they belong to, that's one of the Scott kids, all right? There's, we can do that type of thing. There's a growing intimacy that goes on. And so as we read this together, uh, some people would say, well, you know, the church, that church is great. It's, it's like a family. Think, there's no like in this. The Bible says, we are a family. Not like, we are a family. And so we operate as a family together with certain roles that God has given members uh, and called them to these tasks. And so it operates as a family because that's who we are, members of God's household. And then we keep on reading and, and increasing in intimacy. The third metaphor, we are Stones in a temple. We are members of God's family. We are fellow citizens. But a church, we are stones in a temple. You see this verse 20. This household of God. And this is where he's mixing the, the metaphor. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So there's something that we are lining ourselves up with. Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So you see that we're being grown together 
into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him, Jesus, you also are being built together. We as stones and by the Holy Spirit in Christ are being built together, growing into something, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right, so let me ask you this question. How many of you watch HGTV? Raise your hand. Yes, I see those hands. All right, how many of you don't actually turn the channel there, but your wife has it on? All right, you don't want to admit it, but your wife has it on, all right? Uh, I go in, and then every once in a while it'll be on, I'm like, oh, no. And here's why I'm saying, oh, no. Because when we're watching HGTV, I have a theory that it automatically breeds discontentment. Like, I don't have the time to do that. I don't have the money to do that. And look at that kitchen. No, that's not our kitchen. You know? And then we're... <laughs> I think I'm about to hear some amens and some of this stuff. So, you know, uh, and then it's like, man, I would... And then I get, sw- I get into it, you know? Like, man, I want to live there. I want to live in Costa Rica. You know, the international house hunters. Like, man, you know, I... Didn't know that. And so I was watching one last night. There's, log, there's one of log cabins. I'm like, I never want to really live in a log cabin in my life. But man, now it's like, I kind of want to live in a log cabin. That looks great. I mean, so it just breeds this, this desire. And by the way, just so you know, as all y'all watching HGTV and so is everyone else, and they judge the building of a church by HGTV nowadays. You know that? Just something for us to think about. Um, that's how, you know, they're looking at it. Um, we are looking at it. Uh, and, and so there's this, this idea of, oh, man, what, what can we do to, to make this a house that I can feel comfortable in, that I would like, that I'm nice, that it's nice. Well, what, what you've got here, which, by the way, there's a new satire video out, Church Hunters. It's sadly true. <laughs> sadly true. So what we've got here, though, is God building his home. It's us. It's his people. You know, when you look in the Old Testament, it, it, it's a, a different system of how God was working. God was building a tabernacle, a temple, and he was inviting the peoples, come and see. Come and behold the glory of God as demonstrated through the people of Israel. And so it gives us a picture of how God was working. And the New Testament is, is very different. It's not a come and see anymore. It's for us to go and tell and bring, bring the glory of God to the people. But when you look at the Old Testament system and the temple, it was a, the tabernacle, the temple building itself, was really only about 30 feet wide by 90 feet long. Not very big. I mean, it's kind of like one section here. One section. But looking at the, 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 the resources used in that building, estimating today's value, that same room, estimated to cost, to, be, to reproduce it, would cost $4 billion to build a building that holds a room 30 feet by 90 feet. $4 billion. I mean, it was you know, overlaid with gold. I mean, you got the cedar woods, and, and if you went to the, the holy place, it was just 
gold walls around. You had one light source of the seven uh, lamp candelabra. And so you can imagine this, this uh, these oil lamp being the only source reflecting off the walls of gold engraved with pomegranates and cherubim. And then you have these beautiful tapestries of, of purples and blue and scarlet all together. I mean, just magnificent. And then you've got the scents around uh, and so you got bases that were silver, pure silver, uh, and furniture within it that was pure gold or overlaid cedar with gold. And then you had doors with ivory overlaid with gold on top of ivory. You just can imagine the, the exquisite beauty of this nature. They were telling us that, that the stones that Solomon used to bring this, the stones were quarried, fitted in the quarry so that when it was brought to the temple site, not a sound of a stone was used. Just fitted perfectly placed right next to one another on top of one another went there and went down underneath uh, the welling wall and you could see Herod's stone which is later uh, after Solomon's temple but the stones of Herod's temple I've never seen anything so massive stones one stones easily from me to the back wall and and then some in length one single stones Jesus said not one of these are going to be laid on top of another because this system is being done away with. But you see the value. You see the exquisite nature of what God did in the Old Testament. I say that to say, what is God doing now in the New Testament? If that was the old temple, we are the new temple. We are of much more value and $4 billion and 30 feet by 90 feet, easily the most expensive per square footage building. We as a people have been bought, not by gold or silver, but by the blood of God through Jesus Christ himself. Much more precious than gold and silver. And so I just want to kind of get that in your sense. When we talk about the church, we talk about a people of God, we are talking something extremely valued by God himself. So let's look at how these stones are. You being a stone in the temple. First we need to understand we are lined up. We are lined up by the gospel. All right, so when, when we come together as a church, there must be, you see verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. These are the New Testament writings built upon the Old Testament in which Jesus Christ is the focal point, which says Christ himself being the cornerstone. The church has really one cornerstone, and that's Jesus Christ. We as stones are to be lined up with him and his teachings that he has given to us. So y'all play Jenga? Some of you play Jenga, all right? So it's a game of blocks, wooden blocks stacked on top of one another. One person takes out one little cube, the other one takes out another cube until it all comes tumbling down. The secret of Jenga is making sure that the mass of the structure is lined up on the foundation. And when the holes are too much and there's no longer aligning, there's gaps that, that no longer connect it with the foundation to the mass on top, then that's when problems happen and you lose the game. As a church, when we take steps away from who Jesus Christ is, we lose the identity of who we are. And this is why it's so important for us that we don't add 
to what unifies us as the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. To say, look, if it's going to be Jesus Christ in politics, then we have just put a huge gap in between the foundation of Jesus Christ and the structure of who we are. And it will not last, it will not endure if we have Jesus Christ and a certain race our certain gender, certain age, our certain preferences, then we've got a real problem, and it, it no longer lines up with Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's something that we, as, we have to be diligent. Every generation has to be diligent to say, how are we connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so we must line ourselves up individually, individually with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I preach verse by verse through the Bible. Because the most important thing that can happen is for you to know the scriptures and change your mind, your thinking, your actions accordingly to Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity for us to line up. Line up with what scripture is saying when small groups and Sunday school classes that we learn this, we teach this, that we can line up with what Jesus is saying. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation of Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Psalm 118 captures that same idea. In fact, Jesus probably sung this on Monday, Thursday, that, that time before the Garden of Gethsemane. He probably sung this because this was the Jewish tradition to sing on Passover. Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane and said, Lord, let your will be done. I lay my life down. Let me ask you this question. As we looked in chapter 2 last week and saw how the church is a place where the hostilities are laid to rest between other groups. Let me ask you this. How many preferences did God lay aside what preferences did Jesus lay aside to become our sacrifice? Pretty much all of them. He laid down all of his preferences to establish a church. We need to keep that in mind. As a church, it was expected of Jesus, it must be expected of us to keep on reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to line up with these teachings. But then we keep on reading, in whom, in Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. How is it that we are being joined together? By the Holy Spirit. How is it that we're growing? It's done by the Holy Spirit. How is it that we are being built together? How is it that we are being fitted with one another? It's done by the Holy Spirit. So when we read this, we are stones in the Holy Spirit, shaped, are stones in a temple shaped by the Holy Spirit. God uses the church and the Holy Spirit works through the church to shape us to His image. Now let me just say to you, it's not always done in settings like this where someone's just explaining the scripture and you're taking notes and think, uh-huh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let me, let me change some things. That'd be too easy. <laughs> Way too easy. Because I've found that my obstinate nature takes a lot more to it than someone just explaining it. Sometimes it takes a little bit of pain. Nothing like other people. 
to bring pain. As I read this, I want you to see what God thinks of the church here. There's this idea of like, really? The church I know doesn't seem all that great. In fact, there's a lot of frustrating things about the church. There's a lot of aggravating things about the church. God, do you know how many people complain at the church? God says, yes, he does. And I've seen that God, through the Holy Spirit, will use the sin of people around us in the church to shape us. To shape us. He used the exhortations, the encouragements, the great testimonies, the sacrifices of, of, of love that someone does, someone serving, and it sparks me, provokes me, encourages, and inspires me. And sometimes he used someone grabbing and devouring and hurting. But yet God uses that and shapes me still by the Holy Spirit through the church. There's a shaping that's being done. And that's never an easy thing. But God does it, growing us into something. And so we see this that as a stone, if we are a stone in a temple, we've just grown to intimacy from a citizen to a family. Now I'm a stone Dependent on another stone lined up with them, we are united to each other by the Holy Spirit. Left by myself, I can't do that much in changing Nightdale, Raleigh, by myself. But when God uses me and brings me together with someone else, has different gifts, different abilities, maybe even different perspectives. But we're shaped, we're all shaped by the gospel. We are being shaped by the Holy Spirit. We are in step with gospel of grace. Therefore, we are in step with one another. Then God uses the complementing spiritual gifts and abilities and talents of others and does something in that area for the glory of God, for people to see a, a group worshiping the Lord. When you join in with the church, you're joining by God's grace and say, let me join in what they are doing and bringing out God's kingdom to Nightdale. It's mission driven. It's focused on a task. And when we come together, we sing the praises to our Savior that makes it happen. We share stories with how God is working with one another, but we are united to each other by God's grace, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit at work within us. So let me just share some things. If, if, you see where this comes from text? Am I making something up here? Can everyone see where this came from in verse 22? Verse 21? Whole structure being joined together? Have I stepped away from scripture in any way here? If I haven't, and this is all just bringing out Scripture, what are the implications of this? That church is God's idea, that He's working with His Holy Spirit, built on the gospel, breaking down walls of hostility that lie between one another, save but in Christ. Here's a couple of implications. One, church ought to be important to our lifestyle. <laughs> Is that a stretch? 
I mean, you, you've got the Father planning it, you've got Jesus building it, and you've got the Holy Spirit making it happen. You've got the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, all involved in the church. Then where do we go and say, oh, that's, uh, that's not, i got time, i got nothing else going on. <laughs> We're just out of step with what God is doing. You remember, the church is connected to the power of God. We saw it in chapter 1. You want the power of God working in your life? God says, the pinnacle is in Christ. In verse 22, 23 of chapter 1, this Christ who's head over all things, head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church is the body of Christ, the pinnacle of power of God. The fullness of him who fills all in all is in the church. Wow. That means as a church, we must be, we have to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. We must surrender to Jesus Christ. And I, I have a, a kind of sneaky suspicion that maybe 86% of the people think that the church really isn't all that important to be a good follower of Christ because maybe the church doesn't believe it themselves. Because we say there must be some other things besides Jesus Christ that ties us together and let's add some preferences and let's add some to make sure that we get the right race together and the right gender together. We add things together and the church doesn't look like what God built it to be. And the society says, well, that's just another club. That's just another society group. I don't have to have it. I don't need that. It could very well be that the world thinks that because maybe we've led them to believe it. Just an implication of what this is saying. If this is all true, then church must be important to the lifestyle of the believer. That the ebb and flow of what we do is connected to how God is working in the church and us working with Him, with her. Another thing that tells us is that let's pray for the Holy Spirit to reign and rule in the church not other forces. Just as a third implication, if the church is a place where breaking down barriers, then the church must be, if in a cross-cultural place, multicultural. And I think a lot of times, I, I think I'm probably guilty of this, I want multicolored, not multicultural. What's the difference? I want people of all the different colors coming in, worshiping in my culture. <laughs> That's where I'm guilty. That's where I'm guilty. We're not close to that, guys. <laughs> Look around. As we see ourselves, we are maybe 33% of the population that lives three miles around us what is probably 98% of our population is only 33% of what lives around us. Something can't be right with that. What if people start praying, God, may the gospel be so real to us. May, be, may Christ be so real to us. May that be our glory, that we would not Raise up false barriers. God, would you see fit to even raise up the percentage in our church 
What if we prayed for 20% of people that are not the majority culture of America, but maybe the majority culture of three miles around us? Would you dare pray that way? Have you thought about doing that? I encourage you to think about that. When we start praying that way, I think we're praying what God is bringing to us in Scripture. But not just race, old and young. We've got places from all over here. But actually for us to talk to one another. I, I encourage you, in our church, much more the divide is maybe between the older and the younger. On any given Sunday, are you talking to someone that doesn't look like you? That's not of your same age group. Too many times we've got our own echo chambers. We've got to be able to share with one another, love one another, pray for one another. This is the church God's called us to in Ephesians. May green pines look more like Ephesians. Let's pray.